Hi, welcome to the Mama Advocate Podcast. This is a safe place for adoptive and special needs mamas to feel less alone and find community amidst their unconventional journeys. Here, you're going to find authentic conversations for me and my guest who are parenting fully in the weeds with you. Our goal is to empower and encourage you to be the best mama you can be as you advocate for your people. Guys, I have Jared Brown back with me today, and I sure hope you don't get tired of him because I do not get tired of him. I feel like every time I meet with him, I learn something new, and all all of my thoughts about what I thought about this subject are completely shifted. And so um, I'm excited for that today as well as we talk about executive function. Um, For those of you who don't know yet, if you haven't heard all of Jared's other podcasts, Jared, can you just introduce yourself again, all of the high points of all of your expertise? Yeah, thanks for having me back and hope all of you are doing well. And so I, my, one of my main areas of expertise is fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, but I do a, a lot of work in the area of autism, brain injuries, forensic psychology, and some of the darker topics too, I, I, we won't have to get into, but I, I'm a professor and trainer and do a lot of consultation with different groups, go on a lot of podcasts, write quite a few articles on a, a number of topics. And the topic we're talking about today is executive function. And that's a topic I do a lot of work in with clients, with professional groups. I try to teach most of my students at least the basics of this topic. And if you're a human and you're listening to this, this is one of the most important topics you should probably learn about, regardless of your field of study. If you're a parent to a child with special needs, it's even more important, in my opinion. So we can talk about all those things. And one big, big thing, if people are going to just take away a few points today, if any of your kids are in therapy or in school and they're on some sort of IEP or education plan at the core of goal planning and goal achievement and intervention and case management is executive function. So if you have a child, teenager, adult that seems to go to therapy or has some sort of goal plan and they can never achieve their goals, that's a pretty good indication that maybe that goal plan is not taking into account their executive functioning capabilities. So if you can look at it through this lens in terms of your parenting abilities, if you are a professional listening to this, weaving this into all the things you do, I think will only enhance the good work you're probably already doing. Well, I'm excited because that means you have tools for us, right? I sure hope so. I'm going to give it my best. So Okay, good. So I understand executive functioning is like this frontal cortex of like our quote unquote thinking brain kind of not firing how it's supposed to fire. But I make up that there's a lot more to it than that scientifically than our thinking brain. Can you kind of just give us the very high level overview of what that looks like? So think of it as the boss or the CEO of the brain. You're going to hear it referred to the CEO if you like study this research. So it's a higher order cognitive process. So When we think about executive function, prefrontal cortex, if it's working properly, we're in a better position to think more effectively, strategize, plan, use time effectively. It helps us control our mood state and manage our stress more effectively. And it actually plays a lot into our personality expression. 
and it plays a lot into social behavior. So on the flip side of that, when it's not working properly, a child or an adult or teenager may be more impulsive. It can look a lot like ADHD on its surface, up and down mood swings, rigid thinking, lacking insight where you're the parent and you have a child or teenager that just does the same mistake over and over and over again. And you as a parent are pulling your hair out because you've told them a million times how to do it correctly or not do that. That's a red flag indicator of some executive functioning. If you have a child who maybe is okay with starting a task, but then you walk away, you come back and they're totally off track doing something different. That's an executive function problem. People that consistently show up late to appointments and they're just disorganized, they can't plan, they just seem like it's just crazy making it's and we're just moving constantly, we never get anything done. And you look back, eight hours have gone by. Executive function issues. We all deal with this on some level. If you miss a night of sleep, or if you're pounding down the caffeine all day long or under tons and tons of stress or you're on your phone driving at the same time, you have your child in the back of the car screaming, all that divided attention strains our executive function. So this isn't just for kids that have like FASD or a brain injury or autism or ADHD. I mean, we all deal with this on some level, but when you're raising a kid with special needs, they universally pretty much have this. So under the umbrella lore of executive function, you have a million things going on, but the big, big ones would be working memory, which is our brain's post-it note. So I'll give you a tip. If you are trying to teach your child something who has working memory deficits and you are multitasking and telling them to do this and that and that, giving them all kinds of steps, it overwhelms their brain really quickly. One thing at a time, try to avoid multitasking. And for some kids with working memory issues, you may ask them, okay, do you understand what I just said? And the child or teenager may do this. If you don't fact check and verify, like, okay, you just nodded. Tell me what you just nodded to in your own words. What, what did I actually ask you to do? Fact check, verify, don't rely on the head nods or yes responses. So that's working memory in a nutshell. Cognitive flexibility is another huge component of executive function. When I give talks on this, the, the analogy I use is, let's say you're driving down the road in your car and you have a stick shift. Having good cognitive flexibility, you're having a good shifter. You can shift gears when you need to slow down. You can shift gears when you need to go faster. So you're, you're able to shift attention, navigate. It's like a tree in a windstorm. If a tree was just stiff and wouldn't move, that tree would probably come crashing down. When kids or adults have cognitive inflexibility issues, they can come off as very one-sided, callous, just their way or the highway, very stubborn. So it's cognitive flexibility. And then the other big, big one is something called inhibition. So it used the car analogy as well. You're driving down the road and your brakes go out. You can about imagine how dangerous that could be. Inhibition is our brain's brake. 
So with good inhibition, we can pause, slow down, reflect. If you have an argument with someone and you have good inhibition and you have that thought of wanting to say a swear word to them, your inhibition kicks in and your brain says, okay, don't say that. People with low inhibition, maybe a thought comes in their head and they say the first thing that comes to their mind. It can look like they're very impatient. They can't wait their turn. People with low inhibition, extreme low inhibition, more likely to use drugs, more likely to go to prison, more likely to be obese, more likely to have relationship issues, more likely to drop out of school. I mean, those are extreme cases, but the research is very clear on these things. They have significant implications. So that's a brief, brief overview of executive function, but I'll go a lot deeper if you'd like, Laura. I, my, when, earlier, you said that it looks a lot like ADHD. Mm-hmm. Pretty much everything you just described is the majority of the people in my home, yeah. which the majority of them have ADHD. Mm-hmm. Are you saying that this, like, this executive function thing is like an umbrella and ADHD falls under it? Or are you saying that it's often misdiagnosed and there's something else going on? It could be either. It could be either or. They could have ADHD. I mean, when kids have ADHD, they're going to have executive function impairments. Mm-hmm. But not everyone with executive function impairments has ADHD because ADHD is a neurodevelopmental disorder. There's a million causes for these issues. Prenatal drug and alcohol exposure is one. People who are chronically obese may have more executive functioning impairments. The research shows. People that don't know how to manage their blood sugar levels, people that have dealt with lots of trauma, head injuries. So there's a lot of reasons for this, but a lot of these symptoms look a lot like a lot of disorders and a lot of disorders have issues with this. If you have a severe mental health issue, if you have had a history of brain injuries, drug and alcohol problems, you have FASD, you have probably some level of executive function impairments. And there's a lot of environmental and situational factors that can make them worse and things that can make them better as well. And the one thing too, I forgot to mention, executive function also guides the bus with adaptive functioning. So adaptive functioning is independent living skills, reminding your child to brush their teeth every night, taking care of a pet, sorting your laundry, making your bed turning off the stove after you turn the burner on to make something. Those are all adaptive behaviors, independent living skills, how you manage money, those kind of things. So as you get older, and I see this in a lot of cases I consult on with adults, once that child turns 18 and all of those supports maybe go away and they don't have mom or dad reminding them constantly, okay, it's time to get up. You got to get dressed, got to take your meds without the reminders that's when you truly can see these adaptive functioning issues that people struggle with taking their meds as prescribed. They may struggle with getting out of bed sometimes and using time effectively, showing up to their appointments. These are all things I see all the time. What are some things that you could do right now? Um, Like as we move into adulthood, teen, preteen ages, to really help launch our kids into effective, like living alone, like mm-hmm. all of that independent living stuff. How, what can we do right now to kind of head towards that way 
and or is it more that we put those things in place right now to figure out kind of the severity of like what supports they actually do need when they leave the house? Number one, I would, in my mind, if you can get an evaluation from a qualified like neuropsychologist to find out what parts of the brain are working, what parts aren't. So you know, because there's many components of this. What I shared with you are just a few components. Abstract reasoning is another component. That's a huge topic too. So find out what you're even dealing with first. So maybe that child or teenager, their working memory is, it's okay. But maybe their cognitive flexibility or their abstract reasoning are really low. So the more you know what areas are not working properly, then you can develop a goal plan intervention plan that targets those areas specifically. Insight-based therapeutic approaches a lot of times may not work for people with some of these issues. Coaching, modeling, teaching, role-playing might be more effective. And here's the thing too, if you're teaching this skill, maybe they have some of these executive function impairments. If you teach the skill in one area, like in the home, and you never teach them, okay, how do you use the skill the minute you walk out the house when you get on the school bus or the playground or your job or in the classroom, it's hard to take what you've learned in one setting and then apply it to the other setting. That's generalization deficit. So you have to practice it in multiple settings. And it's usually repetitious in manner because they could show you like in a therapy office at your home, they've mastered the skill in that one setting, which is great. But have they mastered it, how to apply it to other situations? In a lot of cases, no. So those are some things, common sense things too. If you get better sleep, you your executive function works better. If you eat healthier, if you take care of your blood sugar levels, maintaining appropriate blood sugar, maintaining appropriate digestive health issues, teaching people how to learn time and manage time. For some kids, especially with FASD, telling time can be really tricky, especially if it's not like a clock that actually has the numbers up there. I've consulted on cases where this is a real issue. Making this stuff visual too, not just saying it verbally like this, but then having like a chalkboard or some sort of visual cue or maybe it's in a group setting, you're practicing and you're demonstrating it. Those are a few things, and I can give you a lot more if you'd like, but those are a couple basic strategies to start thinking about. Yeah, I would love a few more. I feel like the more tools we can give people, the better. Another topic I didn't talk about yet is processing speed weaknesses. This is very common. So people who have really profound executive function impairments may have more processing speed deficits. So this is another huge tip. Think of processing speed deficits as a traffic jam in that person's brain. So if that child is in a classroom and the teacher talks really fast and uses lots of words, it's a multi-step instruction, all those words enter their brain and they need extra time to make sense of it. Talking too fast, doing things too quickly can overwhelm a brain that has some of these deficits. So slow down allow the person time to make sense of it and be okay with silence. There's a case I consulted on a while ago. The person needed like 45 seconds of silent time 
after being asked a question. Sit there with silence. It's okay. Because if you follow it up with more questions, that just piles up and their brain gets overwhelmed. That's another thing to think about. Target a specific set of skills. So be very concrete and very specific. Find out too what's realistic to this person's brain. Maybe it's a 17-year-old teenager chronologically, but maybe they have FASD and they function as a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old. So you got to modify your approach to their emotional, developmental, and social age as well. And for some individuals with these deficits, they may also have something called initiation deficits where they don't know how to start a task. Help them start a task. Help chunk it out. Check in every little bit. Break it down. Maybe it's using scaffolding interventions, things of that nature. And if you notice, if you have developed a, a, a really good goal plan, it just seems wonderful, but it, it's not working. Be okay. Go back to the table. Readjust. Find what's not working here. A lot of times there's a lot of layers to this going on. So sometimes it's working in conjunction with other providers because it's not uncommon for people with profound executive function impairments to also have language deficits learning disabilities, sensory processing. There's a lot going on. So you might have to tackle each one. So target the specific area. And a lot of times it it absolutely involves a team of professionals. Checklists can be very helpful. So making visual calendars, labeling machines, those kind of things. I am organizers can be helpful. I hear this a lot when I consult on cases with social media. The parents just are so frustrated I've told my teenager he has 20 minutes left on the screen. He never listens to me. Well, for someone with FASD, what does 20 minutes really mean to them? You got to make it, you got to really help them feel like, what does a minute feel like versus an hour versus a day? That concept of time might not be there. So making time visual and concrete rather than, hey, you got an hour. They have probably no clue what that really feels like and means. So That's another strategy to take into account. Problem-solving skills, you can teach that. Teaching self-efficacy, self-monitoring strategies. There's a million things we can do. Getting exercise, reducing sedentary behavior. People who live a sedentary lifestyle may have more executive function impairments than people who are actively moving and getting exercise. Evaluate the person's strengths, hobbies, skills, and interests. Really come at it from a strengths-based approach, being encouraging, motivating, having hopeful thinking. These can all be very helpful as well. So those are just a few, but I I can definitely go deeper if if you'd like. Hey, let's take a quick break. Mama, I know that you are doing a great job, but maybe there's something you've been neglecting, like yourself or your marriage, the rest of your family or the systems in your home. Or maybe you're just ready for a change, but you don't know where to start. That's where we come in. Mama Systems can help you put systems in place so that your family is more organized, more peaceful, and more balanced. And so that you feel like you can get everything done that you need to get done during the day. We'll help make sure that you have a plan to advocate for your child in school and in the community. That you take care of yourself, your marriage, and the rest of your family and that you have systems in place to help build teamwork mentality in your home. 
and make daily life more manageable. All of this is doable and you deserve it, Mama. Check out mamasystems.net today. All right, back to our show. Just kind of an aimer by this. Does, does this function as in any other muscle in the body where the more you work it, the more you kind of problem solve and do these exercises that it grows? And I realize that may seem like a really silly question. In theory, the more you practice the skill, it, it strengthens it. It just depends, depending on what we're talking about. If we're talking about someone that has a very profound brain injury and they have structural damage to that part of the brain, they might have to have some other tools in place, some reminders. So it really depends. But in theory, yes, there's executive functioning coaches out there you can find online it's mainly geared toward like students that have academic issues, but you finding a, an executive function coach can be very helpful in conjunction with maybe a therapist. But if you can strengthen and target these areas, I see it a lot like exercise. Yeah. The more you work it in theory, it should get better. It might not get cured, but you should see improvement. Hopefully. I told myself I wasn't going to take notes and that was going to be like hundred percent present. I would just go back later and listen to it, but I'm like, I can't resist. I've got to take notes. I already have a whole page full. Um, I just, I learned so much from you and I'm so grateful. I feel yeah. like it's like a science class where I'm learning all the like ins and outs <laughs> of the brain. And then it's like made simple so I can actually understand it and pay attention. So I appreciate that a lot. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> um, how does this like long-term and I guess it just depends on the case is what I keep hearing you yeah. say. You keep answering me with that. I do hear you saying that. I think that I just want a map and timeline of my children and what we're, what we're going to do and how it's going to work. And um, I think I just go into problem solving mode. What would be the number one? Cause I, I make up that there's other moms out there that are doing this exact same thing right now. Mm-hmm. What can be the number one thing? Like, let's pretend we have a diagnosis. We know our child definitely struggles with this. We know they need help with speech and some specific things, but where do you even begin? Because I, I feel like this is probably one of those categories where it's like, yes, we need to work on diet and exercise and um, speech and OT and PT. And the list just keeps growing. And then you're like, and then I have other kids. And what do mm-hmm. I do? This is my opinion. Talk to your healthcare provider. They may differ, but get sleep under control. Number one, that's number one to health, in my opinion. Number two, Work with a nutritionist and really evaluate the nutrition because there's a lot going on with sleep and a lot going on with nutrition at the cellular level, at the brain level, at the gut level, at the inflammation level. You can help calm the body, the gut, and the brain down. It, it Everything works better. That's my honest opinion. And then the third area, just educate yourself and the team school teachers, therapists, counselors, case and social workers, if you can start looking through this lens, it changes your paradigm. For teachers, what, what could happen if the teacher doesn't recognize these things? Some children go to school and they can present as being very lazy and very distracted, and they can present as just not caring and kind of a goofball in class. Then the teacher gets frustrated and mad and thinks that kid just could care less about being there. As that goes on, maybe that kid gets reported and goes to the principal. And over the years, it just piles up and up and up. And the kid's put in special ed. And 
diagnosed with different things, medicated for things maybe they don't have or maybe they do. Shame starts kicking in. It erodes self-esteem as they become a teenager. In some cases, they may turn to drugs and alcohol and start associating with problematic peer groups. As they get older, if no supports are in place, they may find themselves involved in the legal system. This is where I focus most of my attention is kind of that realm. If you can identify this early on, it can help reduce shame in the person. And it can also help reduce burnout for parents, teachers, and other professionals because then they realize these behaviors may not be willful. It, it might be the product of the damage to their brain or whatever disorder they're dealing with. So it's that's where I'm at with this today. I mean, I, I could be wrong, but I mean, I've studied thousands of articles on this and taken tons and tons of trainings. And it's a really important topic, I really think, for academic for relationships, for finding a job, for driving. Look at some of the driving literature and executive function. Huge. Think of all the things going on while you drive a car. Mathematics, money management, time management, it's all linked to this. So the more you can learn about it, I think you're in a much better position. Do you have any suggestions on talking? Like, So what I make up is that the, like the, re, the reducing of shame. The best way to deal with that is to talk about the problem openly, right? And maybe I'm wrong here, but yes, to talk to all the, the people around you and on your team, but and then talking to the child about it. How could we approach this in a way that kind of lifts that shame and just lets them know that their brains are built different? Well, I think, again, maybe getting an evaluation and having that professional who's an expert in this area, talk to the whole team, the professionals. Now, if it's a young kid, Maybe it's not talking to them yet about it. It depends on how old they are. And it, it depends really on how old they are emotionally and developmentally as well. But if all the professionals on board can understand this and really start developing their goal plan around this person's brain in terms of their strengths and limitations, it's probably going to lead to better outcomes. There's so many cases I've consulted on where the person has so many professionals involved and everyone's siloed doing their own thing and no one talks to each other and everyone has a different idea, framework, a lens. And for someone that has these brain-based impairments, that can be crazy making. And they get overwhelmed and confused and they shut down and see it all the time. But if you can all be on the same page and maybe have someone there provide some coaching, some education, some consultation, and hiring a consultant that would look at a goal plan and give ideas on how to tweak it through this lens. I've seen some really good things happen. Are there people out there? I, I just make up that you would know this, but maybe you don't. I don't know. I think often as parents, when you're searching for answers and you're searching for different things, you go to everybody because you're like, somebody please tell me what's going on. And then you go to that person and it's like, well, I don't think that's fully it. I think there's more to it. So then you go find somebody else. So it is like, most of the people I work with have these different, I like that word, silos of people that aren't mm -hmm. communicating with each other. Are there coaches out there or people out there who can help coordinate all of that and bring them all together so that you have a cohesive plan? It's tough to know. I mean, I know that there are a number of professionals. I don't know them personally. You just go online and Google executive functioning coaches. But do they have an expertise in FASD? 
or other topics, it's tough to know. There, there's not a lot out there that I'm aware of, but if you can just find someone in general who understands the topic of executive function, you're in a much better position. Typically, neuropsychologists would have a very good understanding of this. Developmental psychologists, some school teachers do have extensive training in this, but it really just depends on your area. But even if they're not in your area, COVID has taught us a lot. We can do so much via Zoom, phone, even email as well. So look worldwide. If you can find experts worldwide who can zoom into one of your meetings and provide some consultation, it might be worth it. Yeah, I'm going to look into that for us all. Um, well, Jared, do you have anything else to tell us about this that we have not talked on yet? Another topic, if, if it's helpful to a follow-up part two to this, is metacognition. Executive function is the CEO of the brain. Metacognition is the owner of the company. It's even higher up. Metacognition is thinking about thinking and knowing about knowing. It's pretty much an executive function, but metacognition training, I would recommend Googling that just to get a foundation. And in the FASD literature, the ADHD literature, and the autism literature, and the brain injury, it all talks about metacognition deficits are common and infusing metacognitive strategies and approaches are a very helpful intervention tool as well. Well, so you know, you just signed up for another podcast episode, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> metacognition, yeah, well, we can definitely do that. <laughs> I would appreciate it. I'm sorry that I keep making you come back. I just, oh, I just... of course, honored to do it. So fascinating to me. Okay. Well, Jared, thank you again. I'm so grateful for your wisdom and all of your hard work that you've done so that we could learn from you in a very simplified way. I'm very grateful. You're well. Thank you, Laura. I appreciate you. Hey, I'm so glad that you joined us today. If this episode blessed you at all, would you mind leaving a review or sharing with others? This, as you know, will help other mamas find us and in turn will bless them. Hey, thanks so much for trusting us with your time today.